politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and minimans standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, liberty, and property. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here in the house. Monday, May 16th, a new week in broadcasting. But the same old issues. No, we have not earned our freedom back yet. We have a lot to fight for. Hope you guys had a terrific spring weekend. I know the weather has been just amazing this spring, at least in my part of the country. It hasn't been too hot because global warming, well, it's not warming that much. The question today, will anything change the trajectory of Pfizer, of Moderna, of the shots? Is there any information that could come out about these gene therapy shots that will allow them to be pulled? And I think the answer is not really a medical or a scientific answer. It's not rooted in data and studies and just real learned experiences of what's in front of our eyes. I think the answer is in politics. You see, the left only gets pressure to change course, or at least pretend to change course, if the other side of that political divide in a system that's really divided down the middle forces their hand, right? That's typically what happens. You know, you start taking on water politically on an issue and you gotta let it go or you gotta modify your position, strategic retreat. They never even had to strategically retreat from the shots and even the shot mandates, much less the broader biomedical fascism. If you look at the last number of months, We have stalled out in any momentum, except for that judge in Florida with regard to masking on a plane, nothing has changed. It's been a stalemate. We still have the military, government workers, and healthcare workers, and then really there is a a certain percentage in the private sector too that are under a mandate, much less the fact that this poison is still being distributed. I mean, that for sure, there is no effort. So today I want to spend some time just going through some of the latest information, data on COVID, on treatment of COVID, clot shot injury, some of the latest research that's out there to just gather this together because, friends, this is kicking into high gear. Remember, they don't even have to reinvent it. They're still coming from a pretty high floor of existing fascism, and they are promising they're going to do more of this. They're telling you what they're going to do come the fall. Now, CR Podcast is brought to you by Pfizer. No, I'm kidding. Um, No, brought to you today by Birch Gold. Look, with everything going on, you're talking about, I believe, upwards of $10,000 that families are going to have to start spending more each year. Food prices are out of control. My wife just came back from shopping this morning. She would go to Aldi's because typically uh, things were cheaper, but it's not. Like a thing of honey was $4 a couple months ago, now it's $7. We're talking about things doubling, tripling sometimes. So with inflation continuing to skyrocket, gold is always a good hedge against that. And Birch Gold is really the most established company, and they have 
a particular program to help convert an IRA or 401k into a tax sheltered account in gold and silver. Uh, get started now by texting Daniel to 989898. With thousands of satisfied customers and A-plus rating with Bitter, B- Better Business Bureau, Birch Gold can help you protect your savings. So again, do what I did and text Daniel to 989898 to get a free info kit. No obligation. How to invest in gold and convert your tax-sheltered retirement account out of that stupid casino we call the stock market and text Daniel to 989898. And by the way... I. I feel validated for many years. I was the first in really the first on every issue to deviate from the dogma of conservative ink, the conservative establishment. But I said, look, while economically, I always believe in lower taxes. But again, just like when I said with abortion, they moved on to a bigger and better anti-life death squad agenda. It's the same thing with, you know, economics. It's not 1981 anymore where taxes is, is, is the bigger issue. Following the Reagan tax cuts, the Bush tax cuts, and the Trump tax cuts, a good number of people don't pay that much in federal taxes. I mean, I'm just going to tell you straight up. Um, as you well know, I'm not a grifter, and I earn less money than anyone of my stature in this business. Um, but I don't earn nothing. My wife doesn't work. I got four kids with with the t- child tax credit stuff. I'm just going to tell you, I don't pay a lot in federal income taxes on that. So that's not the issue. But what is the issue is all these programs and out-of-control spending and the COVID fascism that Republicans bought into and the COVID bills that Republicans bought into and now the Ukrainian bills, that induced an inflation crisis that's likely worse than it's ever been in our country's history. I don't think we're talking about four-digit. I think we're talking about five-digit increases in family budget spending, just from what I'm seeing. You know, we don't spend a lot of money, but it's not even the gas in your tank. That's, you know, that that maybe, I don't know, seven $800 a year probably would cost you on net more than it would. Um... It's the fact that all the trucks and transportation for every single item and good, every single item has grown exponentially. And no, not 8%. And then certainly when it comes to food, you're talking about thousands of dollars more every year. And maybe that's a good thing. People don't seem to care about health care, values, the border, crime. People just keep put the, putting their heads down and going on to the next thing, just living their lives. I understand it. Maybe this will finally create that brick wall and force us to do the surgery that we've always needed, needed to do because of many other issues. <clears throat> and obviously one of them is, is, is the shot stuff. We cannot come to a national divorce quickly enough. I want to play a clip here. Um, this was put together as a montage of this global COVID summit, not to be mixed up with the good guys. They actually stole their name, the Biden White House. They had what they called the global COVID um, um, summit. I want to give credit here, but I'm just not sure who did this. I'm not sure who put together this montage, and I I just come with much trepidation because I don't want to steal someone else's work. 
but the Twitter account I see this on, I don't know if this means he created it, was uh, Peasant Journalist, P-E-N-Z-N-T Journalist, if you want to follow him on Twitter. Listen to this two-minute summary of what was said last week at this summit. Prepare for the next health crisis because there will be others. The pandemic is not over. And as it persists, it changes. It's misguided to think this pandemic is over. The pandemic is not over anywhere until it's over everywhere. We cannot be complacent because the pandemic is not over. But as we know all too well, the pandemic is not over. The pandemic is not over. Craving a return to a pre-pandemic normalcy uh, rather than acknowledging that the virus may have other plans. At the World Health Assembly this month, WHO will present a plan to strengthen the global architecture for health emergency preparedness, response and resilience. This includes the creation of a financial intermediary fund to support equitable access to life-saving tools in the face of future epidemics and pandemics. And we're increasing our support for a new pandemic preparedness and global health security fund that will be established at the World Bank this summer with $450 million in seed funding. It is clear that a coordinated global response is required to combat future health emergencies. We continue our call to strengthen the global health security architecture with transparent, inclusive, and collaborative processes. We support your proposal, dear Joe, to set up a new fund for pandemic preparedness at the World Bank, operating in close coordination and cooperation with the WHO. Come together to shape new international norms on these issues. Together, we can establish common understandings that guide our collective action. To strengthen the international health regulations and negotiate a new international instrument for pandemic prevention, preparedness and response. Vaccines. Vaccines. We call for policy commitments to boost vaccination. To help get shots in arms. Getting vaccines from tarmacs into arms. We also need to accelerate vaccine uptake and ensure vaccines make it into arms quickly and equitably. And sustain our efforts to get, get shots in people's arms all around the world, expand access to treatment, and save lives everywhere. Whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Notice they're all coalescing around this one talking point. It's not over with yet, and it's going to get worse, and come winter it's going to be worse than ever because I think a lot of people realize that COVID for most people wasn't quite as bad as they originally said. So therefore they're like, man, now that we've groomed you into doing this for this degree of virus, wait until we have another degree of virus, which they seem to be very keen on predicting. We're going to do this degree of lab rat experimentation on your body, society, communities, and life. Hence, in my mind, what Wuhan did to gaslight COVID fascism in the beginning of 2020, I believe that Shanghai is being done to gaslight us on, on, on the new type of thing. And you might think, well, Daniel, come on. No one's going to go that far. Well, even if they don't go far that far, <laughs> if they go 10 levels near that, 
That's too much. And remember, the blocking of treatments. We're going to need this. We're going to need treatments because, again, don't think it's a lie. They might be unleashing other viruses. Now, for now, I think it's just the continuation of this because the shots are perpetuating it. But we got to watch out for that. This ain't over, not by a mile. Not by a mile. One of the things that scares me about this is if you look at this, there's an incredible poll out from Gallup from, um, it was conducted the last week of April. It's a new, it was newly released. Do you think the federal government should or should not require everyone over the age of two to wear a face mask when flying on an airplane? 49% said yes. 51 said no. And that that actually took me by surprise. I mean, I knew the numbers were like that until fairly recently, but I thought now it receded. Now, again, all the caveats in place, as I always say, the support is a mile wide, an inch deep. You poke it with data. You push it. Um, obviously, people are going to change their minds, but that is scary. So... Add to that the fact that most people think COVID's not even around now. They're not really focused on it. Add to that the fact that, let's say, the shots induced some mega virus, as Gert Vandenbosch keeps talking about, or they unleashed something else that truly is a big problem. What will that number look like? 70, 80, 90? I'm just telling you. We have not won that. Which is why we need a basic IQ test for anyone running for office on this. And it's also because we haven't had a party making the case against it. And before we again present all the evidence that hasn't been presented against the clot shots, which is why they're still in circulation and still will be until we have another side, not just three people yelling from the back, but an entire organized movement and political party. I want to preface that with talking about the Buffalo shooting, the Buffalo massacre from, from over the weekend. Now, I don't want to get too far into that today because I still think there's a lot of unknown and you never know what they're gaslighting us with. But I want to, I want to mention a, a lesson and derive a lesson from that to apply to the clot shots. Now, our other sponsor today is our buddies at Patriot Academy. I'm really looking forward to seeing all you guys in just six days out in New Mexico for our next defensive handgun training uh, make sure you come up to me, uh, those of you who went out of your way to schedule that. I know it's very difficult now with, um, you know, just with pricing so, so terrible for hotels and cars and everything and certainly airfare. Uh, we will be putting on one later. We don't have a date yet. But again, you want to acquaint yourself with Patriot Academy's website uh, to see all their programs. One of them is the Constitution Coach Program where you could host a Constitution class in your home with their materials, and this is a way you can grow your local cells. The way to combat globalism is localism, where you start creating your own oases for freedom, your own sanctuaries for liberty. And this starts with Patriot Academy's Constitution Coach program. All the resources are online. They've registered over 100,000 people last year alone. So again, you could find a class or sign up to be a coach at patriotacademy.com to help restore 
our constitutional republic. Okay, so I wanted to go on here, start off just with the fact that how is it the media is able to gaslight the one case where on the surface, assuming it's true, you do have a legitimate white supremacist or whatever guy that hated blacks and um, went and shot up a Walmart. I believe 10 people are killed so far, if that number hasn't even grown. Uh, so terrible tragedy. And right away they were prepared. You know, the last 10 of these shootings, we didn't know anything about. Terror attacks. This right away we did, so I was like, all right, I guess it's a white guy. <laughs> and indeed it was. And just a couple brief remarks about this. First of all, as I've noted before, this is why we need the death penalty within six months of a, a crime like this, where there's multiple witnesses, mass murder. If you did that every time, no guts, no glory, it would really deter it. Because clearly the guy did not want to die. Most of them do. This guy would have been deterred, I believe, if we had a swift death penalty in this country. So that's one issue. But they're trying to make it a racial thing. Now, how is it that the public could get such a skewed view um, where, you know, we have, for every one of these, we have 100 black and white racially motivated crimes. And, and the difference is it's not... No, no one denies that there's haters on every side in every direction here and there. But the issue is the other way around, it's countenanced by our culture, government, law, and every business institution in the world. It's being gaslit by the entire cabal that runs the world, whereas this is not. So how is it that nobody heard of Waukesha? Nobody heard of the mayor, mayoral candidate in Louisville who was almost assassinated by a BLM guy? A number of these cases. Heck, to this day, people don't know that the only Capitol Hill officer who directly died in an attack was a few months after January 6th when a Farrakhan dude crashed into a barrier at the Capitol and came out lunging at, at an officer with a knife. And the answer is because we don't have a political party that makes hay of it the way the left does, so, so it would balance out the equation. So they couldn't run with the narrative that there's this pervasive white supremacist problem because you'd see that there's 10 more cases on the other end. So it's not like that. So you just deal with a tough deterrent, tough on crime, and that, that, that's what you gotta do. But they'll be allowed to run away with this narrative because we don't have a counter-narrative pushing back. And this is what it is with the shots. To you and me, we're almost sick of talking of, about COVID and the shots and everything. But most of this stuff has not even gotten out, even the basics, much less the new stuff we talk about. So let's go through some of the new things that we indeed have. So I wanted to just share an observation that you might want to share in conversations when you talk to people about this. The baby formula from the Similac factory in Michigan was pulled after just four reported deaths. And really, there's very tenuous connections so far. It's not, it hasn't proven to kill anyone. It was taken from the market, creating an unbelievable degree of uh, disruption. Okay? We have the shots that are now proven to have negative efficacy. We have more COVID and COVID deaths wherever we have more shots directly correlated in any study. We have 1.26 million VARES entries for injuries. We have over 28,000 deaths, 
28,000 reported on theirs, 155,000 hospitalizations, 52,000 permanently disabled, 40,000 myocarditis cases. And we know the underreporting factor is exponential. Some say 40. Some studies have shown 100. It's going to depend on the type of ailment. And it still hasn't been pulled. How? Because name me the number of Republicans who talk about this. I can't really. In Florida, they at least don't push the shots on kids. They don't really push on anyone anymore. Um, and they recommend against it for kids. But that that's about as close as you'll get to any elected Republican even saying, hey, it's not just the mandates, but this thing is kind of the worst poison you could imagine. So Heart Group, H-A-R-T, it's a really prestigious group of doctors in the UK that have done terrific work. You could check out their website, the Heart Group. And they did an interesting analysis. They looked at Eastern and Western Europe. So one of the talking points of the left is that Eastern Europe, most Eastern European countries seem to have more deaths than the West. And they do a great job debunking that. And they note that the demarcation is not between low vax and high vax. It's between East and West. And there's a reason for it. They don't really spell it out, but I'll spell it out for you. It's obvious. So, in other words, they actually found that within the Western European countries the higher vaccinated countries had a higher death rate than the lower ones, relatively. And in Eastern Europe, same thing. So it was was actually reversed like we see everywhere else. They they concluded that vaccinations were the reason for lower deaths and high vaccination rate in Western countries in spring 2021. Then an explanation must be provided for why vaccination apparently did not work in Eastern Europe countries, European countries with a similar vaccination rate. In fact, there was actually a higher rate among the high-vaxxed in Western Europe compared to the low, as well as in Eastern Europe. Now, what happened really was very simple. As you well know, um, people, the, the countries that initially got it in that first spring 2020, everyone's like, oh my gosh, they're the hot spots. What are they doing wrong? But as we well know, that gave them immunity earlier. The ones that did pretty well until 2021 are the ones that are getting crushed. Okay, because what happened was those countries got crushed with Delta, which to this day, until my dying day, I will believe was Gert Vandenbosch's premonition that the shots would make the virus work worse. So actually, I do think it is the shots doing it. It created worse variants. So all it is is that Eastern Europe barely had anything the first year. So then they got hit with the worst version of it with with virgin ground, naive, you know, infected people. So that's why on net it seesawed even worse in Eastern. But actually, if you look country by country, as every analysis has shown, there's a reverse correlation. Reverse correlation. And again, you're seeing that everywhere. Australia is now the worst country in the world. Why? Well, Daniel, they didn't get much before. Okay, but now they have three shots. So the you see in Eastern Europe, you could say, well, that was just when it was kicking in, but now they have three in in Australia. The answer is very simple. 
Epic Times article here. CDC researchers analyzed test results from sites across the U.S. and determined that the vaccine was 60% effective two to four weeks after 12 to 50. Now, that's an accounting gimmick. But even they admit that it goes negative after, after month five. Okay? They admit this. CDC researchers. The tests were analyzed basically December 26, 2021 through February 21st. And they found it goes negative in adolescence. I mean, that's just what they studied after five months. That, my friends, is vaccine injury. That is immune suppression. Okay? Don't, don't, don't let them forget. Oh, oh you need a booster. Well, wait, but why is it going negative? Well, by now, I think we know exactly why it's going negative. Now, there's another important story here that emerged over the weekend. Very interesting. Remember the Scottish um, stillbirth data? That was like the first country to have a safety signal problem where they really had, I wouldn't say historically high, but, you know, relative to the last 40 years, the highest ever rate of neonatal deaths, stillbirths. And then since then, we've seen it in Iceland. We've seen it in Israel. We've seen it in certain individual hospitals in Canada. So, again, to rehash this, I wrote about it. I got fact-checked. The Herald Scotland attacked me for writing about it. But Public Health Scotland announced that 21 newborns had died last September. Okay, originally they found so so basically the baseline rate, the average of the last five years was two point two stillbirths per thousand live births. Two point two. They were finding at the time four point nine, so it more than doubled, and I think since then it's actually been revised up to five point one. So that's a pretty big deal. That's like a two and a half times above the average. And it was the highest level not seen since the 1980s. And they agreed. They actually ruled out. They ruled out any chance that this was being caused by COVID. Normally, they blame it on COVID. They actually said they ruled it out. It wasn't COVID. BBC had an article at the time. Harold Scotland, I think, also did. But they said it's not the shots. But they never explained, well, what is it then? What is it then? And at the time they said, the vaccination status, this is from the Herald um, Scotland, the vaccination status of the mothers of the infants who died is unknown and will not be released due to patient confidentiality. Okay, that's kind of interesting. You have a genetic product that we now know Pfizer from their documents admitted it is not known that it's safe in pregnant women. And we mass distributed it. We suddenly go backwards on infant mortality, which we've never had in years. It was always down, 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 down. And they're like, no, we're never going to look into the vaccination status. Interesting. 
So it's not like you haven't... So it's not that they ruled it out. It's that they have no interest in finding out. Well, fast forward. You look at the data now. And for like February into March, it's back again up to 4.6. Again, more than double the five-year average per thousand. And based on the revision last time, likely will be revised up. Okay? This is from BBC here. An investigation is underway after a spike in the number of newborn baby deaths in Scotland was recorded for the second time in six months. At least 18 babies under four year weeks old died in March, a rate of 4.6 per thousand. Um, it comes after at least 21 babies died in September. A preliminary investigation later found the spike was not linked to COVID. And let's see where we are. They quote this woman, this Dr. Stock. Um, I don't know what she is, a maternal and fetal medicine specialist. She stressed that COVID vaccine, which studies have consistently shown is safe in pregnancy, was not a factor. Oh, really? How do you know that? So what is the factor? They don't know. They don't know. So real nice. And then they go on to say how newborn mortality has been falling and falling and falling since the 1970s. Okay, so you're not interested in the least to find out what's spiking it. Remember, since I reported on that and got fact-checked and everything, which, by the way, just so you know, um, a lot of my COVID articles now will be at Conservative Review. Anything else will be at The Blaze, but conservativereview.com, so you want to look that up. Again, this is just a precaution because the entire network is getting dinged online for, for my COVID content, so I figured... I want to get it out. I don't want to be censored, but I don't want to harm them. So I put it at conservative review. The website is still there. So that's where you could find me. So you can no longer assume the chronology of my articles. If you click on my name at the blaze that you're getting everything, got to go to conservative review as well. Um, But anyway, remember we talked about this maybe last week, two weeks ago, Iceland and the newspaper Fretin. They said in 2021, there were 17 stillbirths. And 35 first-year infant deaths, which is more than double from 2020. 2020 is COVID before the shots. 2021 is COVID with the shots. So, again, it can't be COVID. Why? When you factor in the number of births every year, the average stillbirth per 1,000 is 2 per 1,000 in Iceland. So, yeah, pretty pretty much the same. Scotland was 2.2. The increase for 2021 over the previous nine-year average was 75%. The increase in perinatal um, mortality, so that includes both stillbirths and children who die within the first week after birth, was 82% in 2021 compared to the five-year average. The number of deaths in, of infants, if you, so you just look after birth, was 100% compared to the previous nine years. Interesting. Interesting to say the least. Then we go on. And we have this interesting study. A bunch of American researchers, a lot of researchers, prestigious scientists. If you want to look it up, COVID-19 and the surge in deciduous cast shedding. D-C-S. That's D-E-C-I-D-U-A-L cast, C-A-S-T, shedding. (laughs) 
Gazette of Medical Sciences. Well, what does this have to do with um, stillbirths? I don't know if it's directly stillbirths, but it surely is a, a pretty nasty, rare reproductive health problem. This came out very important. I want to make sure you guys hear this. That so so just some background. DCS basically it's um it's when the uterus's thick mucus lining is shed intact like it, it, the lining sheds in not just in in terms of just some uh, extra uh, menstrual bleeding but the lining intact just comes out evidently there's been 40 documented cases in medical literature over 109 years so that's how rare this condition is the d- d- decidual cast shedding So this study done in the Gazette of Medical Sciences, they sent out a 91-page survey of gynecological questions to young, mainly young women from May 2021 through December 2021. So the latter half of last year, when already most people who got vaccinated, who planned on doing it, got it already or were starting to go through the process. About 6,000 women responded. Almost 5% reported experiencing a DCS incident during the seven-and-a-half-month data collection period. Okay? Okay, I, I, I want you guys to understand this. I want you guys to understand the magnitude. So typically, we had 40 cases over 109 years documented. Now they had 292 reported cases in just a seven and a half month span, but it's not, it's more than that. This is not reported in the entire world. This is out of a survey of 6,000 people, 4.83%, nearly 5% said they experienced that where the mucus lining of their uterus shed intact. Now, I don't know how many... Honestly, I don't know much about this, and maybe we'll get someone on to discuss it, but you know, I don't know if it's the type of thing that you could mistake in with heavy bleeding, or it's like a Frankenstein comes out and you totally can't mistake in it. I don't know. But anyway, of this group... 96.2%, meaning of the 292 women that claimed to have experienced DCS, almost all of them said they had also experienced health problems or menstrual irregularities since last year, coinciding exactly with the timing of the release of the shot. They also noted that, um, you know, and, and this is really corroborating evidence. It's very, the, the, I find this actually very strong, even though it's not scientific. They monitored Google Trends. So, you know, sometimes like, yeah, you know, I don't know. People always Google certain things. But, dude, decidual cast, how many people are going to sit and Google that? I mean, most doctors never heard of it. Okay? Certainly, an average person would have never heard of it. I never heard of it. You never heard of it. Um, decidual cast and COVID vaccine. So, they looked at the searches for, uh, throughout all last year through March 2022. And they found... Um, a so they found a 2000% increase 
in April 2021 to June 2021. That That's around when they got it, right? You know, January, February, maybe into March, it was mainly seniors. That's around when younger people started getting this. Younger women. The study's authors um, say we speculate that individuals were researching their own abnormal experience to better understand the phenomenon prior to being exposed to our survey. These timeframes also align with the onset of widespread COVID-19 vaccine distribution. Really nice. Really nice. I'm sure it has nothing to do with it. See, like, dude, when you have all these... Look, did we prove scientifically that it's causing the stillbirths? No, not with the scientific method. But it's not our freaking job to determine with the scientific method that it's scientific law to pull the shots. It's always the opposite. You have to prove with the scientific method that it doesn't cause it, even if we have no signals and you know pathophysiologically and, and anecdotally and data and theirs. I haven't checked what is it, like five thousand miscarriages reported to theirs, and again, those are very murky. That's going to be extremely underreported because it's very hard to trace. We know that the LNPs go to the ovaries. We know they're very inflammatory. That we know. We know a tremendous amount of women. I mean, we're talking about, we're not talking about a tiny percentage. We're talking about massive, massive millions of women experience uh, menstrual irregularities. And now we're seeing nearly 5% in one survey of 6,000 women said they had this shedding of the uterus which was barely recorded in human history. And you tell me there's nothing to see here? Again, folks, this is what I mean. <laughs> now, now, I, I hope you could better appreciate those of you who are offended by me almost like insinuating that I didn't care about abortions or whatever. I'm just saying abortions are optional. This is a mandatory abortion. So I'm going to be focused more on that. I'm not going to allow the same rhinos who are supportive of the clot shots and supported all this, and to this day won't speak out against them. Oh, but they're pro-life and they're anti-abortion. Oh, vote for me. I'm like, dude, this is a mandatory abortion. There's no question this is going to cause reproductive problems for years to come. <clears throat> There's just no question about it. But I want to make sure you guys were armed with that information. Again, the title is COVID-19 and the Surge in Decidual Cast Shedding the Gazette of Medical Sciences, if you want to look it up. So uh, reproductive stuff is just one angle of this, but there's thousands of maladies. I know so many people that are sicker than they've ever been, and again, I'm not saying all of it is done by the shots, but you have to assume a lot of it is based on what we do know, and there's no effort to get to the, to the bottom of this. <clears throat> Let's just go through some more stuff. Um, there's a great substack, Coquin de Chien. I don't know who that is, what that is, but he does a great job on Massachusetts health data. He has good data from Massachusetts, C-O-Q-U-I-N-D-E-C-H-I-E-N. That's his uh, substack. So thrombocytopenia, okay, that's the low platelet count ailment that we, we see, one of the many blood disorders tied to the shots. And so he looked at different death certificate codes, and he found the, the code is D696 in, in Massachusetts there. For COVID year, which is 2020, 
that death code was 12 to 25% greater than the expected value by trend or mean methods, respectively. 12% was increase in trend, 25% increase in mean. He did both. Okay, that makes sense. Again, I mean, the spike protein attacks the blood. But then you look in 2021, and it's 24 and 43% respective. So it's double that of 2020. And the reason why that's important is because if you look at Massachusetts, 2020 started out, okay, so you had nothing. Then mid-March through June is when they had that big wave in the Northeast, which Massachusetts was a part of. They had another wave, a smaller wave in the mid-fall. The 2020 quarterly set perfectly aligns with the seasonal first and second waves. Okay, so it it perfectly aligns. It It was COVID. But the problem is you go to 2021... And, you know, many people already had COVID. Most older people had the shots already in quarter one. Middle age certainly had it by the second quarter. And then by the third and fourth quarters, already the seniors had boosters. And yet, the 2021 quarterly set for the death codes of thrombocytopenia does not match with COVID seasonality as much but does match perfectly with the timing of each age bracket take-up of the shots in Massachusetts. Massachusetts, remember, is one of the most vaccinated states. So what gives? His question is, why are these death codes double in 2021 compared to 2020? Why are there as many thrombocytopenia deaths in quarter three and four of 2021 alone as there were in all of 2020, considering that 90% of the older age groups were immunized by that period. Okay? And this is what we're seeing with all these ailments. Some of them are part of COVID-2, which is a bioweapon, does need to be treated. But most prominently, it coincides with the take-up of the shots. And then another interesting thing he found was acute renal failure in age groups 45 to 84. Basically, um, in Massachusetts, there were twice as many deaths in 2020 as there were in 2021. So really the opposite of a lot of places. Yet they had fewer N179 deaths in 2020 than 2021. N197 is renal failure. Well, we don't know the answer to that. But what we do know is that remdesivir wasn't given until fall, f- far later in the season, right? Remdesivir was not there in March. It came, most didn't start using it until the summer, a lot the fall. So that could be the only explanation why 2021 had more renal failures. Because if you're going to blame it on COVID, then you should have had more renal failure in 2020. So again, there's there's a lot of clever ways of bringing out the truth. If you only had a party and a movement that was willing to do that. But alas, we don't. 
another interesting thing, and thank you, Aaron from New York, for uh, sending this to me. I I never saw this. It was published in the Frontiers of Medicine in October, so this is a, this is a little bit old. And they looked at vaccine injury in Saudi Arabia, and they were comparing Pfizer to AstraZeneca. They looked at 4,170 people. 2,600 received one dose of Pfizer. A certain amount received the second dose. And then 1,500 received at least one dose of Chad 0x1, whatever. That's the AstraZeneca. And what did they find? The side effects were more severe in Pfizer than AstraZeneca. AstraZeneca vaccines reported mild, moderate, severe, and critical side effects in 30%, 28%, 29 29%, and 1.53% respectively. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> okay. Mild, 30% and mild, 20% and moderate, 29% had severe, and 1.53% had critical. In contrast, mild side effects were recorded among the majority of Pfizer, 63.9%. Moderate was 27, severe 7, and critical 0.72%. Remember, we honed in around um, 0.8% for severe injury, but you got to be careful with who, you know how you translate severe or define severe versus critical. That might, you know, that might be interesting. You know, because they have a definition here of saying 29%. So clear, I mean, clearly they mean like just very evident. Doesn't mean it's life threatening necessarily. I think, as opposed to the ones using the, you know, 0.8% is more throwing severe with critical. But be it as it may, I found that fascinating. That that was a long time ago, and it hones in around that amount that we're seeing. Again, you you talk about somewhere from 0.7, 0 0.8% or as much as 1.5%. That's millions upon millions of people, given the amount of people who got the shots. Both local and systemic side effects were recorded more frequently in AstraZeneca. So I guess it was more severe in Pfizer, but more fr frequent in uh, AstraZeneca. Um, and then they, they talk about abnormal menstrual cycles as well, which were very common. Um... So, AstraZeneca had a, had a greater amount of it. I mean, we're still finding out which one's worse. It's hard to tell. Seems like it's kind of a wash. And now, again, this hepatitis thing is huge with these kids dying of hepatitis. And I think there's a very good theory from Dr. Finn that it was the adenovirus vector vaccines that caused it because it seems to be tied to adenovirus, which until now was like a, you know, a cold, a flu-like thing, never really bothered kids much. They all get it. Why is that suddenly a problem? So that's with that. Pretty bad stuff here. Now we have um, one other thing I want to share with you, Paxlovid. The WHO came out with a statement suggests against its use in patients at lower risk as the benefits were found to be negligible. 
Why are they recommending against it for low risk? Now, I understand, you know, if, if you're low risk, you, you don't think you're going to get too sick. But if it's a miracle pill for high risk, why would its effects be negligible with low risk? The answer, of course, is because the effects are negligible for high risk, too. They just don't want to say that. And not to mention that it's a new therapy mixed with an old drug that has already been pretty problematic. Another thing on COVID I wanted to share with you, just more on the treatment side. Um, I'm starting to get some questions about treatment. People are getting the virus. Um, And by the way, I mean, this is never going to go away now. I don't think it's as serious anymore. It clearly isn't. But, uh, you know, people are asking how to treat it. And one of the things that always comes, but people come back to are the antihistamines, uh, famotidine, that's Pepsid. And the dose, by the way, I'm hearing is really 80 milligrams. So you take two, you take 40 twice a day. That would be two Pepsid extra strengths twice a day. There's a study from Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory in New York done by, a t- there's like a ton of authors on this study on oral famotidine in hospitalized patients. Randomized double-blinded placebo-controlled trial. Not a huge sample, so they'll, they'll complain about that. This was done between January and April 2021, 80 milligrams a day, and they found time to symptom resolution. Wait, where is this? They say that wasn't so much of a difference, but a 50% reduction in overall baseline symptom scores were achieved at 8.2 days for famotidine and 11.4 days for the placebo. Um, so it was safe, it was well tolerated, and it led to earlier resolution of symptoms and inflammation in hospitalized patients. Folks, this is one of the most tolerated drugs ever. People take it for heartburn. It's over the freaking counter. And this showed even activity in hospitalized patients. So the notion that we weren't telling people right away, you get it first sign every day, take 80, 80 milligrams famotidine. How, how many lives would that have saved? And I don't, have, I don't have the answer, but there are other studies that came out recently on famotidine. Dr. Malone was pushing that very early, March, April 2020. Trump was given that in, 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 at Walter Reed. Again, criminal to this day. It's not being put out there, but it still is a big player. Antihistamines are an important thing with these variants. Um, it's not so much a concern that you're going to get a cytokine storm with the breathing problems, but a lot of secondary bacterial infections... Um, you could get you could get pneumonia, you could get bronchitis, sinus infections, things like that. So antihistamines are actually very good. So you know, there's this. There's also um, breaking up the mucus is good. Uh, Mucinex. Doctor Finn is a, is a fan of that. She might have even said it when I had her on. I can't remember. Um, you know, and then and then uh, melatonin or uh, what's that other antihistamine everyone uses? Benadryl also seem to work well before you go to sleep. So, heck, maybe we'll do a sh- an updated show on that because I got, I got a couple questions on that recently. 
Um, by the way, it's interesting with the shots. I do wonder, you know, if maybe the Democrats didn't get a, pl- a placebo after all, you know, with the shots. Because if you think about it, we had Senator Ray Lujan from Arizona that got that sudden stroke and he was in bad shape. And he still has a scar from this life-saving surgery he had to have. He's in his young 40s. So this guy Fetterman, the jerk running for Senate in Pennsylvania for the Democrats, he was hospitalized with blood clots and a stroke. Yeah, that's totally normal at his age. Then, Steny Hoyer from Maryland. He's a senator from Maryland. No, not senator. He's um the House Majority Leader. Number two guy there under Pelosi. He suffered what they said is a minor stroke. Now, he is older. But again, you... We're we're all like, okay, why aren't the Democrat politicians having problems? You wouldn't know. You wouldn't necessarily know. I mean, these are the few that leaked out. Um, whole lot of blood clotting going on. When did you ever hear about blood clotting? So, that's the story with that. Um, there's a lot more going on with the courts. Uh, Gorsuch just screwed us on another immigration case, Patel v. Garland. He's very into saying that the government, that the courts have a role in blocking deportations. Now, um, Barrett did write the opinion and it was good. And actually, Roberts joined. So it was Gorsuch joined with the three liberals. Gorsuch is horrible on immigration, by the way. So I just want to put that out there. Um, there's that going on. There's also another important case I want to delve into at some point from Alabama. From Alabama, a judge blocked their ban on minor on castration for minors. So again, those of you who think that the courts are going to be a sword for us, no, I want a shield against the courts. And I think we need to use the Roe v. Wade and say, look, it's not just this, but every issue that's political and cultural in nature needs to be taken out of the courts. I'm telling you, this is the biggest issue because anything we want to do in the state legislatures is going to get crushed by the federal courts. If you want national divorce, de-emphasize judicial supremacy. Rather than Republicans being, oh my gosh, oh, they're, they're harming the integrity of the institution. We need to protect our institutions. Our institutions are crushed and they're crushing us. They're already irremediably broken. Give me a break. Stop crying over the courts. I don't want to hear about the courts. If the Democrats are like, oh my gosh, we have a conservative majority in the Supreme Court, we need to pack the courts. I'm like, go do it. Have 20 justices. We're just going to not abide by it. You don't like the decisions they make? We don't like the decisions they make either. Let's sort it out in the legislatures. I'm telling you, if you think that on net we're going to benefit from judicial supremacism, you know, having decisions ruled our way on net, nine out of ten times it's going to harm us. This is a classic, classic example. So that is something I might delve into more detail tomorrow. And again, the entire conservative commentary is still focused on defending the court's honor. They always focus on the next destruction. Oh, we can't allow the left to do this. All the while green lighting and accepting and living with the degree of damage that has already been incurred, which is fatal. We've lost our country. You listen to all their ads. We're going to lose our country if we don't win this election. Dude, that ship has sailed the 50 other times you said we're going to lose our country if we didn't win it and we didn't win it. 
or when Republicans did win it, they went along with the destruction. So you need a new strategy. Start rethinking your strategy. Just drives me crazy. So we're going to be dealing with some of that with some candidates. We're going to have the we're going to have one of the challengers uh, for their Alabama governor on tomorrow. Tim James challenging. He's one of the candidates. There's several challenging. Uh, K. Ivy. I have not endorsed anyone yet. I've just endorsed voting against K. Ivy because there is a runoff there. So the key is to get her below the threshold. And a recent poll does show her below. So that is a very important race. I think much more important than the Pennsylvania Senate race. Um, I don't care about Senate. I don't want the Sultan, the Wizard of Oz, in there. But honestly, he's just as bad as all the other Republicans there anyway. So who knows? <laughs> One other good piece of news out there, um, there is a Missouri bill, HB 2149. It has a lot of different provisions in it, but it has a provision blocking pharmacists from inquiring about an ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine prescription. So they're they're actually not allowed to ask doctors why you're doing it, which should be the law because it is the law. Because pharmacists are not uh, unless they see a contraindication they are not allowed to practice medicine that is practicing medicine so again my only observation here is why did it take this long to finally get a few states to deal with this when for the most part you don't need those drugs anymore we're kind of beyond that i mean hopefully it's important we do it now because you never know what they're going to bring for the future and they probably will but you see how easy it is in the red states to pass it why were we yelping a year ago when it would have mattered and it would have saved countless lives? Always, always late. Always late. Always fighting yesterday's battle. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's a good thing. We should we should keep doing this. I'm just trying to demonstrate how, like, you know, we were like, oh, my gosh, you can never get this passed. And no, they're doing it. You have super majorities. When you actually have the wherewithal to do it, you do it. It's not a big deal. You see how much more we could accomplish if we only stayed focused. And focused is what we will stay for the remainder of this week. This is just the opening salvo. I need you guys to be our ambassadors here to the truth. Unique content. We don't focus on shiny objects here. We have our own focus, um, which is what matters, which is why really it uh, draws people of all types you know, across the spectrum to this show because we're not a bunch of hacks. You know I speak from intellect, from the heart. Um, I don't carry anyone's water we are truly independent here, and we need a new independent movement, and we are bound to create it at some point with your health. With your help, I mean, send this to every one of your friends and relatives. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Reach out to me at danielhorowitz at startmail.com. Follow me at rmconservative on Twitter. I still have survived. I'm still there by the grace of God. Um, so who knows if Elon will make it better, but either way, I'm still there till tomorrow. God bless you all. And thank you for listening.